I'm Ross Kickle. On this episode of American Reef, we're talking nanotanks. More specifically, we're going to talk about the long-term pros and cons of plumbing in a smaller nano system into a much larger reef tank. Um, in Mike's case, I believe we are well over 400 gallons. Um, originally, he did it three-ish kind of years ago, um, basically for maintenance, convenience, that kind of thing, right, to make it easier. Um, well, over those three years, some things kind of worked the way he thought so, some things didn't. And so we kind of get to pick his brain a little bit to see, again, what those things that weren't working the way he thought they would and basically how we could correct them in kind of a reincarnation, so to speak, if we were to do it again. Um, another point of conversation that we talk in this video are the fish. Basically, you know, what kind of fish he selected, why he selected them. And um, so ultimately, if you do have a nano tank, um, it kind of gives you some options of basically if you're thinking about adding it to your larger tank, you know, again, maybe some lessons you can learn there. And if you don't have a nano tank, basically, you know, maybe some fish selection that you would consider. Also, approximately two weeks ago, um, we released a video uh, as it relates to the Paletta ELO system and the lighting schedule. Um, that generated hundreds of emails asking about uh, the config files for the lighting. Um, if you follow the link before, below here, basically um, that link is for the config file. Um, I will keep that config file out there for a month or two. Um, and you can, again, download it, upload it, do whatever you want with that file. But basically, that is the lighting schedule that Mike uses on that Elos tank. And again, it was that kind of zigzag kind of pattern. Um, again, do what you want with it. If you're watching this video and it's after probably, we'll say, December of 2017, uh, the link will not be valid. So don't even bother going to check it out. Um, lastly, I also got some emails as it relates to being able to ship some pellets with the, uh, uh, the HPD powder. Uh, the answer is yes, I can do that. Just send me an email, again, AmericanReefAtMe.com. Um, basically, it's 35 bucks, right? Meaning I'll send you uh, an American Reef powder. Just let me know which pellets you want, if it's the small ones or the large ones. Um, and it's just that simple, right? You know, 35 bucks and I'll send it out to you. And um, like I said, I can fit two in those USPS boxes. And usually I get the, uh, the email, or excuse me, the mailing address from the PayPal that comes over. So I'll confirm it that way and get it to you, um, you know, via that email kind of dialogue. It uh, doesn't have to be any more complicated than that, so to speak. So uh, again, any other questions, just hit me up at AmericanReef at me.com. It is the uh, Thanksgiving here in, uh, in the U.S. So for those of you in the U.S., I hope you all have a safe and wonderful Thanksgiving. And I uh, hope you enjoy the, uh, the lessons learned as it relates to connecting or hooking up a uh, nano tank into your reef system. So again, enjoy the video.
What you doing, Michael? Just uh, working on my articles for Reef Builders and Reef the Reef. I write a weekly article for Reef Builders every Saturday morning. It's called Saturday Morning Coffee with Mike Paletta. And I do an opinion piece once a month on Reef to Reef. So keeping busy. And now, do you do it from this chair? I write a lot of it from here because this chair allows me to look at all three of my tanks. And it's amazing how when you just sit here and aren't in front of the tank feeding them, how much more behavior you see in the tanks. In all three of them, you just really get the chance to see what's going on in each of the tanks. And I think that's one of the problems a lot of us have. We don't have a whole lot of free time, so we don't spend enough time just sitting and relaxing and watching our tanks. We're usually moving them, maintaining them, moving stuff around, doing a water change or feeding them. And so the fish aren't really acting natural. So by sitting here, these fish behave naturally. The fish in the quarantine tank, I can see who's picking on who or what's going on. And main thing, I can see the 300 gallon tank and actually see the fish acting normally instead of all at the front waiting to be fed. So it's your inspiration then, and at the same time you get to watch and kind of keep track and babysit them, so to speak, all at the same time. Well, and it's also nice from a temperature standpoint, because in the summertime, this is in the basement, this is the coolest room in the house, and in the wintertime it's warm and humid, so you come down here and you just feel really cozy so it also is a really nice chair to fall asleep in which is one of the problems if uh, I'm writing something I don't think is that exciting or I get bored I fall right to sleep here in the chair so try to avoid that and write exciting things. I was gonna say you're not inspiring money to read your articles if you're fine to fall asleep. Well if they have difficulty sleeping maybe they can read some of them but hopefully that's not the case. There it is good deal. Well okay well so what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about my nano tank. We haven't really talked about it much in the past year and a half. It's been up now approximately three years and it's, from my point of view, it's really come along. Now, why would I have a nano tank when I have a 300 gallon tank, two 120 gallon tanks, a 90 gallon frag tank? What in the world would I possibly need a nano tank for? Well, each of my tanks sort of has a different theme and one of the themes in this tank is small fish. Because the problem is when you put these small fish in a big tank, they either are scared to death or they disappear and you never see them because there's things in those tanks that consume everything that's not big. So I have this tank because one, I like small fish, but it also gives me a chance to put some corals in here that I don't keep in the other tanks that I can actually look at that look better from a nano or macro photography point of view. By that I'm talking about some of the acans, some of the zoos. Uh, some of the lobophilias. I mean, there's just some really nice corals in here. Plus, in the small tank, they're easier to feed and to maintain. That is, if there's something in here specifically I want to feed, the current isn't such that it blasts them, and the light, as you can see, is relatively low, the current is relatively low, and the maintenance on this tank is relatively low. All I do on this tank when I do a water change, since all these tanks are interconnected, I just siphon out the bottom. Every now and then I'll take a power head, I'll shoot it along the back, It'll blow all the detritus to the front in a couple of minutes, siphon it all out, and basically the tank's clean and free and easy to maintain. So, which is, again, a lot different than when you originally started it. Yeah, I originally started it with the plan of I was going to do a traditional nano tank and have it on its own system and do everything separate. The problem is I don't have enough time to do that. Plain and simple, there just wasn't enough time in the day for me to continuously maintain that tank. So I, I bit the bullet and ran all three of them together, and it's been a godsend in terms of how much maintenance. I mean, this tank probably takes least amount of work in the entire, of all my tanks, probably takes 10 minutes a week. So, okay, let's define that. In other words, what you do as far as kind of a 
uh, we'll say a water quality standpoint, you have it plumbed into your 300 gallons. Right. This is approximately 25 to 27 gallons. So it's probably 20 gallons of water. So this overturns, or there's a turnover in this of about five times per hour. So about 100 gallons an hour run through here through the main filtration system. There's a power head in the back in the middle that shoots out a fair amount of current. It's not a lot. It doesn't blast the corals because none of them really like heavy water motion. So it's moderate current. It takes the clean water from the back, blows it into the front. The water goes over the overflow in the back. There's a lot of live rock back there. There's actually a lot of bristle worms back there too. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the rock. The detritus that goes across the top settles out there because there's also a piece of foam sitting on top. That gets changed once a month or so. Just gets redone, washed, put back in. Easy peasy, no problems. Uh, the main thing I do, like I said, once a week on Saturday mornings when I do my water change, I take out about four gallons of water from here, just siphoning stuff out. And when the water flow is slow in here, I feed the corals directly. That as I shoot some row or some lobster eggs on the Lobos and on the Acans, everybody's happy. And that's basically the work for this tank for a week. By the time I get to the big tank, it's already filled back up. Just continue to do the water change. So in other words, you don't actually do a water change on it per se. You suck the stuff out. Right. By default, water gets or water gets removed from it, but it gets replaced from the larger system. Correct. Which makes it nice. Yeah, it, it's it's a very simple system. I mean, if you you want to have a nano tank with little maintenance, connect it up to your big system because we all love little fish. I mean, the firefish, the cardinal fish, the blennies. Uh, there's some ruby red dragonettes in here, there's a red mandarin in here, there's a spring of rice pseudochromus in here, there's some fire shrimp. There's a lot more in here than I could keep if I just had it as a separate system. But because I run it through a 300 gallon system with a huge filter and with a large filter bed, I, I've had no issues with this tank. Uh, what's interesting in this tank is I grow coral and algae on the glass on the back in here and I have virtually no coral and algae in any of my other tanks. I don't understand that. Also, I've had a problem in the big tank with the little anthelia or whatever they are that are a pest growing over everything. Something or somehow they're all wiped out in the big tank. They're not there anymore, but they still remain here on this, around this one acan. You can see them growing. So it's just a, a pain from that standpoint, but the water's all the same. So I have no idea why some things are happening in here that aren't occurring in the, the other bigger systems. Because if you look in the bigger system, I'm assuming because that's an SPS tank, even though it's all one, the specificity or the, the closeness of it causes the corals to draw out whatever nutrients are that will feed the coral and algae in here. Because for the most part, there aren't any SPS corals in here. There's a couple little Montipra frags, but that's about it. But yet, it's the same water. Yeah, so it makes no sense. Right. But I, and, uh, I, if someone can come up with an explanation, I would love to hear it. Uh, write to me, explain it. But each of these tanks is sort of different. Like I had a horrible bryopsis problem in the frag tank that I didn't have any of these other two tr tanks. I treated it with fluconazole, eradicated it from here, but it wasn't, didn't do anything in these other two tanks, so they never had the problem. And again, it's the same water. Right, but I had, to, I, had to treat, I had to treat the 400 gallons of water. Right. When I treated just the 90 gallons of water here, it didn't touch the bryopsis. Yeah. I had to go to the full treatment, and even though there's none in the other tanks, it was an issue here. Which again, when you think about it, I, I just I find that utterly confusing. Yeah, it uh, it just shows how little we know. Right. I mean, and how 
we think our tanks are little sections of the reef. No. Each one, even though they're all of the same water and are filtered with the same filter and they run through the same miracle mud and everything else, each one is its own little enclosed system, even though they're all attached. They all have the same water temperature. They all have the, I mean, I've tested the water in each. It shows the same thing. So just the specificity of it, right. because there's no SPS in here competing for strontium or whatever the uh, secret element is, coral and algae, as you can see, grows in a glass here. There's none in the other glass in the other tanks. Right. Although I guess the, the funny thing about that as well, the lighting is different though on that tank versus the other two things as you were talking about the coralline. Right, because this is this is a lower light. These corals don't require as much light. So I'm just running a single Kessel and a strip of blue light above it versus here I'm running the radions. But I'm not really blasting them like Sanjay does. I'm running them at about 80, 85%. And I've just had as much success as when I ran them at 100%. I don't get the bleaching when I add new things to the tank is the, the main thing I was worried about. Right. So now on the Nano, okay, if we just kind of take back a in history, you originally set it up, individual tank. It had, a, it had a, another power head on the bottom, a little tons of unit that was moving the water flow. The problem with that was it was too strong and the stupid fish all got sucked into it. Mm -hmm. So that had to go. So now I'm just running, like I said, a little uh, uh, maxi jet power head on the back, sucks the water out of the water going in, shoots it into the tank. and So it shoots the water that's fresh coming from the, the big tank into it shoots it into the tank and then it goes back over the overflow, over the filter pad and gets sucked out through a uh, siphon in the back and dumped back into the big tank's uh, sump. Now do you have to worry about anything like as far as if there is a power failure? Or I've tested this. It works nine times out of ten. <laughs> the tenth time it's a problem, I will admit that. But hopefully I don't get that many power outages. Mm -hmm. Knock on wood. <laughs> but if I do, I have to worry. So I. My cousin lives a block away, so if there's a power outage, he calls me. I have him come over. Fortunately, he hasn't had to start the siphon because that would be a whole nother <laughs> fiasco. Right, got it. So at least in, the, in this particular case, again, you do have an issue, you know about it. Right? For those people, for example, who do, do, who do that, right, what do you recommend? Drilling the back of the tank, having a, a permanent overflow in. I got the Japanese glass overflow that in theory should never stop. And I have had it stop, but one of the problems was it used to accumulate algae. Now I have a piece of black plastic that goes over it. I also have a steady tube in it for siphon. So if it looks like it's a little bit starting to draw in air, I just suck it out and keep it going perfectly. And in that way, it's been good. I still worry, but. Sure, sure. It's not like the sunlit tank upstairs where you have that little pump. Right. It's constantly. Where I have double overflows. Right. right. This is just one little unit. Because like I said, this is only doing about 100, 150 gallons an hour going through it. It's not like a ton of water overflowing it. Right. <laughs> now, do you have any issues with, uh, we'll say, bad things going from your big tank into the little tank? Uh, as I said, each tank is different. I've had Aptasia in the frag tank and in here, but because of the angelfish and other fish in that tank, I've never had a real Aptasia problem. But I have this uh, Aptasia eating filefish here. He goes from this tank to the frag tank. Wherever tank he's in, I see no Aptasia. There's none to be found. 
He's gone for a month. All of a sudden, the Aptasias start blossoming again. So then I got to catch him out of here again, which he's not real fond of. Toss him back in here, and within three days, all the Aptasias are gone again. <laughs> Why do I not have two? I don't have enough Aptasia to keep them busy. And I've had him eat anemones, and I've had him pick on the acans and stuff when he didn't have enough Aptasia. So now I just put the Aptasia, or put him in when the Aptasia start. There were probably a dozen to 18 big Aptasia in here last week. He's only been in here for four or five days. There's not a single one to be seen again. Now, how do you catch him with the rock board being what it is in that tank? At night, he tends to hang out at the top. I shine a really bright light, which stuns him, and then I scoop him right out, pop him back in here. I mean, he, he knows these two tanks. He's been going back and forth now for almost a year. Right. So in that way, he doesn't like being caught. But now I catch him in a cup. I don't even use a net because his whatever tends to, his skin tends to stick into the net. And then he kind of stressed when I put him in. So this way, he's not stressed. I'm not stressed. But like I said, he's gone back and forth probably half a dozen times. Right. And now, it's funny, now you don't have to put him in the big tank. Though. No. The big tank has a few Bartholomew anemones. I kill those individually with either the uh, uh, Aptasia wand or with uh, Kalkwasser. But they're they tend to be underneath stuff. Uh, the corals tend to overgrow them, and if they're out, the angelfish eats them. Makes, makes sense, right? Yeah, because I had a uh, Majano issue in here, and all of a sudden, the uh, angelfish found a liking for them, and within a week, they were all gone. And I don't know if he ate all those anthillia or not. I mean, he tends to suddenly like something, and then it's gone. <laughs> so, I mean, if you remember looking at that uh, Red Sea Regal Angel, She's as fat as can be, and she eats pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she eats pellets when I put them in. She eats mices when I put it in. And sitting here, I've been able to watch them pick at everything and every little nook and cranny in the tank. Unlike when I feed them and they're all at the front, when they're just acting naturally, they're, they're eating a lot of the stuff that's in the tank. Right, right. So now I understand better why they're so fat, because they, all they do is eat all day. Right. <laughs> so now, if I remember correctly, wasn't this the tank, did you have a substrate on this tank or no, that was the other tank that you had the substrate? That was the other tank. This tank has never had a substrate. Okay. And now like as far as kind of the sides, since you have the rock packed all the way around. That wasn't the intention, but the stuff has sort of grown out to it. Because mm -hmm. originally there was space. Right. But as with everything, I like too much stuff. And the zoanthids were, I've taken and harvested those four or five times. Sadly, I do not have the rarest zoanthid collection, so they're not worth a lot, but they're nice looking, and when it's just the blue light, it's really nice looking late at night. So, I mean, that's all I'm looking for. I don't go this close to look at stuff. I like to be able to look at it from here, and at night it looks nice. Even in the day it looks nice. Yeah, and right? you can see this big blenny here swimming around. Yeah, very much so, right? Yeah. And there's actually a fairy wrasse in here, but uh, it only comes out to eat, only comes out when it's eating, which I don't understand, versus in this, the frag tank, they're all out all the time. Mm
any plans? You're going to change anything other than kind of moving it, so to speak, to the new? I'll system? probably take the big blenny out. Mm-hmm. And. That's really it. I like how this looks, and at night it glows. I mean, the symphilias and the lobophilias are all doing well. I mean, I've had problems with them in other tanks. In this tank, I'm coming to the realization that a lot of fish eat a lot of stuff when you're not sitting here. In this tank, with the little fish, they don't really bother these things, and they do very well. I mean, part of my problem is I have a big mix of fish, particularly a lot of tangs and angels. And if you're feeding them, they don't look like they're bothering anything. But if you're sitting here, you see them nipping and picking right. at chalices, at LPS, and other stuff that you thought was safe. I've realized it's not safe in those, that tank anymore. So now that stuff goes in here. But remember at one point you had that frag tank loaded with A-cans, right? Loaded. Yep. <laughs> well, some of the A-cans are now in here that were there. Right. A lot of the A-cans are gone just because of apathy right. and putting a few fish in there that really liked the A-cans exactly. that I stupidly didn't think were. Right. And it became a hassle catching them out and everything. So now the A-cans go there to acclimate for a week or two. Then they go into here. Right. Here they do fine. There, eh. <laughs> Dessert. Yeah. <laughs> No, and it, you, you can't see it, but there's a little rabbit fish. Well, not really a little rabbit fish. He was put in here seven months ago. He looked like a potato chip and was about this big. Now he's six inches and this thick. So, you know, one time I've had rabbit fish in here, which is really funny because they grow like faster than any fish I've ever had. And now the two of them are in there. I mean, they're great at keeping the algae down, but you have to be careful what you put in here. Like that Blenny was little, really, really tiny when I put him in here. He's gotten fat and happy. So now it's just primarily like the, the little uh, odd uh, tank-raised uh, Kamahari Blennies that I got from uh, that fish place, the little Springeri, the Firefish, the uh, Pajama Cardinals, and the uh, Ruby Red Dragonettes. Right, right. So this is now all small fish. Right. You know, something to be said, though, they have a place for nice small fish. Yeah. Too, right? There's so many cool little tiny fish that are out there, yeah. and you can't put them in a 90. You can't even put them in a 90 gallon. You certainly can't put them in a 300. Right. I mean, there's some weird little fish in here. Like, there's a possum wrasse in there. Uh, there's some six-lined wrasses in there. Uh, there's a couple other odd, relatively small fish in there. But anything else I've ever put in there is never see it again yeah exactly they're hiding or dessert yeah. yeah so in here i mean even in here some tiny fish like yasahasa gobies have disappeared the little tail spot blennies have disappeared uh some damselfish have disappeared uh there's things in here one of the things i've been doing is catching some of the big bristle worms out of here and finding out i had huge bristle worms in here and that's where i'm thinking a lot of those little tiny fish went really so, yeah really so you think the bristle worms get a hold of them uh, they were never on the bottom. They were always up in here. Uh, when these fish went to sleep, because no I never found a body, they were just gone. Yeah. And when you lose a school of damselfish, seven little damselfish in two weeks, and never see a body. Right. I mean, usually if something dies in here, it gets sucked on the power head or it's over the overflow. Right, you'll see it. I'll see it. In here, I never see anything that's dead. I've never seen a dead fish in this tank. And you see, you see bristle worms the size of your fingers. Right? I see them this long. The size of my fingers. I just got these uh, bristle worm traps from England that are like a series of mazes and I've used them a couple times and been interested what I pulled out of the tank. No yeah, so. Uh, you know, it's always funny because I've always liked bristle worms as far as, hey, they eat stuff. However. Well, I, I, I know I will 
irritate, no pun intended, some people with my bristleworm theory, but in most of my tanks, I never find the bristleworms on the bottom where all the detritus is. I see the bristleworms around the corals, and I see a time to time damage at the bases of the corals. In this tank in particular, I was having a huge problem with the bases getting eaten. I put a female green bird wrasse in there, and I watch her just swallow these things. I don't have that problem with the bases bleaching anymore. So I don't know, I, I didn't open up the stomach of the bristleworms to see what the contents were. So I can't say definitively that the bristleworms were eating the bases of the corals. But since I put the female green bird wrasse in there, I've not had the bases of the corals start to die off. So right. you can do the math, figure it out. I know someone will write in, oh no, they're not doing that, it was something else. I don't know if it was something else that the green bird wrasse ate, but I know what I saw and I know what has resulted. So there will always be a green bird, female green bird wrasse or a male green bird wrasse in my tanks. <laughs> That's the nice thing about this whole hobby. Again, your mileage may vary, but for you, forget it works. I know it worked, so I did it. I mean, you can look at the tank. The corals are doing pretty good. Right. And my seat is just as comfortable as it was. So hopefully it'll be just as comfortable next year. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about some of the articles that you got coming up. What do you got planned? Like, because you were talking about maybe, you know, some future. Things. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, they're, they're always are sort of spur of the moment. I'm speaking this week at the Aquatic Experience for the first time, so I'm going to write about that. I'm also talking about the cost of the hobby now versus relatively when we started 20 years ago. I'm going to look at a myriad of things and see. I mean, I don't know because I'm going to put things in dollar values. I've done the inflation estimate of what $20 was worth then versus $20 now. So I'm going to put it in dollar values both ways. I'm going to compare similar to the same equipment, see how things pan out. It may be that it is cheaper now. It may be that it is more expensive. I know frags are significantly more expensive, particularly for SPS and Zoes and chalices, but is that the case across the board? Fortunately, I have all the FAMA magazines back to 1978, so I can go back 40 years and look and see, and I'm going to look for the last 20 years when I look up the advertisements of what cost stuff, what stuff cost then versus now, do a comparison on that. I'm planning an article on polyp extension and what factors into that. I'm doing an article for Reef to Reef on things I miss about the hobby. Uh, what else am I doing? And hair isn't one of them, right? I didn't have hair for 30 years, so. Okay. I've been going bald since my mid-20s, so you can't bust on me on that, Russ. Okay. Uh, and I, I, as I said, a lot of it is whatever pops into my sure. mind, but I have enough through the end of the year, and then we'll see from there. Good deal. We'll keep our eyes out open for them, right? Yep, and every Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Is that on Reef to Reef too? Uh, no, Reef to Reef is once a month okay. when I have time to write it because I write slightly longer articles for them because okay. I don't write them as often. Okay. And Reef Builders uh, is usually a, a good five to ten minute read every week. Okay, good deal. And then uh, you said, didn't you have another one as well? I write for Ultramarine Magazine in London. Okay, so for the UK folks because it goes all around the world. Yeah, videos, so. Yeah, I write for Ultramarine. Their, their magazine comes out once every two months. They usually have a lot of interesting articles so I write for them every couple months. So look out for Ultramarine Magazine. Yes indeed. <laughs>